0: I don't know about you, but I don't want to get knocked out every single day. I don't want to get knocked out at all. I want to talk to you this morning for a few minutes about the struggle of the Christian life. And you know, just like this boxing match we were just watching, how many know in every kind of sporting arena that ha- that's a combat arena, whether it's wrestling or it's boxing or it's UFC, whatever it is, there are rules that govern the struggle. We call those the, rule, the rules of the struggle. And in the Christian life, there's some rules of the struggle as well, and I want to talk to you about that. You know, I was thinking this morning about just addressing one very simple question, and it's one that you've probably asked. If you haven't asked it already, you, I'm sure, someday will ask, and that is the question, why does God allow us to struggle? Have you ever asked that question? Why does God let us struggle? Why does a God of infinite power and an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving God, why does it seem like sometimes he's sitting on the sideline just kind of passively watching his beloved children as they flail about in the dire straits of life? I don't know, but it's gone through my mind more than once. (laughs) I felt like saying, hey, God... Put a fork in me. I'm done. I'm done already. But I want to enlist the help of a man this morning who understood struggle. He was a man who flew and failed, and then he flew again. Or better yet, we could say he, he walked, he sank, and then he walked again. And his name is Peter. And you know him very well because his name is synonymous with fear. It's synonymous with doubt, with failure. But how many know he's also known for the courage of his restoration and the courage of his recovery? And so I want you to think with me this morning from 1 Peter chapter 4, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation, just two verses, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. And it says this, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in His suffering, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing His glory when it is revealed to all the world. Hallelujah. I want you to think with me for a moment today about the first rule of struggle. The first rule of struggle. Peter is writing, as you know, to a group of believers in Asia Minor. These are people who are in the middle of a horrific struggle because they're experiencing all kinds of persecution against them and oppression because of their faith in Jesus Christ. They're taking a beating. They're being clobbered, if you will, uh, over and over again because they've stood for Jesus and they're wrestling with the reality of this struggle in their walk with him. Peter has some counsel for them. And his counsels found in these classic words of verse 12. Let me read it to you again. Verse 12 says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial of your faith, which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you. I'm going to tell you something today. There's nothing strange going on. Maybe you find yourself here this morning and you're battling and you're struggling with different issues. Maybe you're wrestling through a trial. There's a difficulty that's going on. There's a situation that's happening. And I want to tell you this morning, you're battling, but there's nothing strange about that. Nothing unusual about that. That's part and parcel of living life as fallen people on a fallen planet. We are going to struggle. We are going to have seasons where we experience trials and we go through different kinds of testings uh, and uh, uh, we should not, as the Apostle said, think it strange. We should never consider that it's something out of the ordinary or something really unusual is happening. I know sometimes when you're going through a trial, it seems like you're the only only one that's ever been through that. But the more you get around and the more that you meet people, the more you talk to people, the more you realize that you're not the only one that's been through that. In fact, many people have been through that or similar to that. And uh, and so it's something that we all experience. We go through these trials and these difficulties uh, and there's nothing strange going on. I love what the message says in this particular verse. It says this, in verse 12, friends, when life gets really difficult don't jump to the conclusion that God isn't on the job when life gets really difficult don't jump to the conclusion that God is not on the job God is always on the job he rules in heaven above and in earth beneath he's not asleep somewhere on the backside of the universe He's aware of what's going on. He knows what's happening with you. He knows exactly what you're going through right now. And here's the first rule of struggle. Write it on your heart so that it never leaves. There's nothing strange about it. There's nothing unusual about it. You need to settle that in your heart right now. You need to lock that into your thinking because all of us are going to hit some speed bumps. Amen? We're all going to experience some setbacks in our lives. We're all going to struggle in this life, and it's just part and parcel. Maybe it's for you. It's, it's a financial hardship. Maybe you're battling with a, you know just gathering the resources that you need to support your family and you're, you're struggling in that arena. Maybe it's a health problem. I prayed for some people this morning in the earlier service that were battling with some health issues and sometimes that makes up our struggles. Sometimes it's relationship issues. It could be a marriage that's going sour. It could be a crummy relationship that you've gotten yourself mixed up in and things are just not uh, going well and falling apart and we, we all struggle and we struggle in different ways but here's the thing here's the thing I want you to take home it's not the struggle that sets us back it's not the fact that we struggle that sets us back I've been a Christian for over 40 years and I can tell you this over that 40 year period plus years there have been many situations that I've passed through many struggles many trials, many severe testings of my own personal faith. I've battled, I've struggled, I've watched others do the very same thing as well. And I'll tell you this, it's what we do during the struggle that determines the outcome. I said it's what we do. Amen? It's not the fact that we have a struggle or that we're in a struggle. It's what we do during the struggle that determines the outcome. And I want to tell you something about God. While God is very concerned about what you and I are going through when we're struggling, I want you to know that He is infinitely more concerned about what's going on through you. Let that sink into your heart for a moment. Let that, let that get into your spirit. God's concerned about what you're going through, but he's far more concerned about what's going through you. What's going through you in the struggle? Is it bitterness? What's going through the struggle with you? Is it anger? Is it, is it, is it doubt? Is it lack of faith? Is it lack of confidence in God? What is it that's going through you? Is it an attitude? You see, God's concerned infinitely more with what's going through us. And the reason why is because God's eye is on us in the storm. Did you know that? I'm grateful to know that God's eye is on us in the storm. I'm glad to know that he's watching everything. Sometimes we think God just isn't on duty. You know, Lord, don't you see what I'm going through? Don't you know what's happening? Can't you see how difficult this is for me? Don't you know the stress that I'm under? I want to tell you that when you're going through a storm, God's eye is fixed on you. His attention is fixed upon you while you struggle. The reason is because the Bible says you and I, as his children, as his people, are the apple of his eye. He is concerned. You know, that's why it's not the struggle, but it's what we do within the struggle that makes all the difference because God is watching us. I'm reminded of the story in the Matthew's gospel where the disciples are on the boat and they're going across the Sea of Galilee at Jesus' behest and Matthew 14, 24 says, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea tossed by the waves for the wind was contrary. These disciples began to panic they begin to be filled with fear because uh, all of a sudden this storm blows up as they're making their way across uh, the sea. And the next thing you know, uh, the waves are crashing against the boat. The winds are howling. They think that the, there's going to be uh, you know, a, a loss of life. They're not going to make it across. The boat's going to capsize. They're all going to drown. Filled with fear. Filled with doubt. Wondering why Jesus would have sent them that way in the first place. He knows everything. I said he knows everything. He knew they were going to face the storm before they ever faced it. Why did he send them that way? All these questions, no doubt, are reverberating in their minds. And what's even more interesting to me was that Jesus saw them, the Bible says, from the mount where he had been praying. He saw them in the midst of the sea, and he came to them supernaturally walking on the water. He came to them walking on the water. He came to them to comfort them. He came to still the rage of the storm and to be able to speak peace into their lives and into their circumstances. It's a powerful truth. It's something that we need to lay hold of. Jesus saw them in the storm. I want to tell you something this morning about storms. Every storm of life is meant to teach us something about God, and it's also meant to teach us something about ourselves every storm we go through God wants to teach you something about him that you don't know and he wants to teach you something about you that you haven't understood yet that's the purpose of the storm I dare say God learns a lot more about us in the storm than he ever would in the sunshine of success hey, when there's money in the bank, and cattle on the range, and everything's going great, and you know, all of our needs are met, and there's no problems that we're dealing with, and we're just kind of skipping along, hinds feet in high places, and easy to be blessed, but you know what? When we get into a storm, when a trial begins to test our faith, when something happens, and we begin to struggle, I want you to know that a great deal more is revealed about our lives, and about our character, and about our nature, than it ever is uh, in the sunshine of success. The good news this morning is that there is good in the struggle. I want you to mark it down. I want you to uh, write it on the tablets of your heart. There is good in the struggle. There's also growth in the struggle. You know, uh, uh, over the many years that I've been a Christian, I can tell you that the times when I have made the most progress, the times when I've had the greatest revelation, the times when I have grown the most and been stretched as a believer have not been the times of success and favor and blessing. They've been the times when all hell was breaking loose in my life. They have been the times when everything got turned on its head. They have been the times when I've lost those that were precious and most close to me. They've been times, those have been the times that have been the greatest times of growth and the greatest times of stretching. And so I've got some advice for you. And the advice is simply this, quit fighting against the struggle. Quit fighting against the struggle because it is a reality of the Christian life. You're going to pass through those seasons. The thing to do is not to be resistant of them. The thing to do is to know how to tackle them. Amen. Amen. To know what the rules are. Can you say amen? amen? And the first rule is think it not strange. This is a fact of life. This is part of the normal Christian experience. You can count on the fact that that's going to happen. You can count on the fact that you're going to struggle and be tested at times. But I want to tell you, there's good in the struggle because there's growth in the struggle. Secondly, this morning, I want you to think about the second rule of struggle. And the second rule of struggle, very simply, is this. God is for us. I'm telling you, that's the best news that you're going to hear all week. God is for us. I woke up this morning to the horrific news of 50 people being shot last night in a nightclub and lost their lives. 50 others are in the, uh, uh, the hospital from a terrorist uh, uh, attack on a nightclub. And I, I, I was thinking about this morning's message and I thought, God, I thank you that you are for us. You are for us. You love us. God is for us. So there's nothing strange about going through a time of struggle and God is for us. Romans chapter 8 and verse 31 puts it this way. What shall we say to these things if God is for us, who can be against us? See, we need to be clear about this before we can get any kind of traction on this whole issue of struggling. Because God does not allow suffering. Listen to me. He does not allow suffering to touch us unless it is first passed across his desk. Unless he has first authorized it. He has first had to, as it were, sign off on it. We read in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, but you are a chosen generation a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. His own special people. One translation says, uh, a people for God's own possession. The King James Version calls us a peculiar people. Now, that, that, that'd be a little bit easy to misinterpret, wouldn't it? We might think that they you're a bunch of weirdos. Bunch of fanatics, you know, a peculiar... Pe- no, it actually means you are a special people that God has chosen for His own. He's chosen for Himself. Doing a bit of research on this passage, and in the original language, the word peculiar in the King James is translated with the terms in and around along with it, as that scripture is written. In other words, if we're going to translate it correctly... It's saying that we are God's possessions. How many know that we belong to God? We belong to God by virtue of the cross. We belong to God by virtue of the sacrifice that Jesus paid, the blood that he shed on Calvary. Because of that, we now belong to God. And so, because we belong to him, God is overshadowing And he's not allowing anything to touch us without it first goes through him. How many remember the story of Job? Remember the story of Job? Such an interesting story. The sons of God appear before the Lord and the Bible says Satan was among them. And God says to Satan in this encounter, in this drama that's unfolding in the heavenlies, remember, Job knows nothing about what's going on. He's just living his life and going about his daily affairs. But this drama is taking place in the heavenlies. And, and uh, suddenly uh, the Lord says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Hey, there's no one like him in all the earth. He's an upright man. He's a perfect man. He's one who shuns evil. Have you thought about, have you considered him? Because Satan had been going up and down, back and forth across the earth, and he came to accuse. Well, the interesting thing is that Satan answered God and said, well, yeah, God, of course, you know, he serves you. I mean, who wouldn't? Who wouldn't, you know, you you protect him. you've built a hedge of protection around him and you take care of him and you bless him and look at all that you've given him and the wealth and the the family and all of the blessings that he has. Listen, uh, of course he serves you because you bless him. Satan said, but listen, God, lift the hedge. Lift the hedge around about him and I'll promise you that he will curse you to your face. But God said, no, I know my servant Job, and so I'm going to allow you to have a shot at him. I'm going to allow you to have a crack at him because I know what he's made out of, and I know that he is going to come through. The hedge was lifted, and it was one horror after another. A hurricane force storm comes through and destroys the house and the houses of his children. All of his children are killed. He loses them all in one day. Can you imagine the the, the, the shock and the grief uh, that this man's going through? And then uh, all of his prosperity, the storm ravages his flocks and herds. Many of them are killed. He loses others that, that uh, are lost. And finally, the source of his wealth is gone. And he goes from being one of the wealthiest men in the world at that time to be being uh, absolutely broke then if that's not bad enough he gets sick and uh, he begins to break out all over his body in these terrible boils and then his friends his so-called friends come along and say job what have you done wrong man And, you know, he's trying to say, listen, I don't know where this is coming from. I don't know what's going on here. Oh, well, we know, uh, you know, you must have sinned. You must have done something wrong. This wouldn't, all this bad stuff wouldn't be happening to you if you were really right with God. And so you must have sinned. So they begin to condemn him. And then, to top it all off, the person who should have been closest to him in the whole world was his wife. And his wife comes to him, and she says, Job why don't you just curse God and die? Why don't you just be done with it? Just curse God and die. After all, look at you. What profit is it for you to serve the Lord? I mean, is this what it means to serve the Lord? You know, you go bankrupt, you lose everything, your kids are, are, are killed, all this thing going on. Why don't you just curse God and die? But do you remember what Job said? He said, I will not allow my lips to charge God foolishly. Though He slay me, yet will I trust Him. Though He slay me, yet will I trust Him. You know, for every believer, every true believer, the only suffering that can touch us is that which has been authorized by our heavenly father listen to what it says in first corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13 it says no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man but god is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but will with the temptation also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it can i tell you that god knows what you can take you don't know what you can take You don't know how much you can handle until you find yourself in that situation, but God already knows what your limitations are, and he's made a promise to you in his word that says, I'm never going to allow you to go through anything that's going to be beyond your ability, beyond your capacity, beyond your your, your ableness to bear. I'm not going to let that happen. God knows, you know, He knows what we can handle. If it was up to you and me, we wouldn't handle anything, (laughs) would we? I mean, it doesn't matter, you know, what, what kind of trial. Nobody wants, nobody likes pain. Nobody wants to struggle. Nobody wants to go through a trial. Nobody wants to be tested. I mean, if it was up to us, we wouldn't handle anything. But then if we didn't handle anything, if we didn't go through anything, if we didn't pass through any of those situations, then we wouldn't know what it ever meant to grow. We wouldn't know what it ever meant to be transformed from the inside out. We wouldn't understand the revelation of who God is and the greatness and the love of God that takes us everything in life and works all things together for the good to those that love him and to those that are called according to his purpose so if he's allowed something in your life today if you're battling, if you're struggling you can be assured that God loves you that there's nothing strange going on, that he is for you no matter what and he knows what he is doing can you trust that God knows what he's doing I'll tell you something else some people think the devil's just running around just you know he's off the hook he's off the leash he's just he's just prowling the universe tormenting and doing whatever he wants that's a lie the devil is a defeated enemy Satan has already been defeated on the cross of Jesus Christ. He's already been cast down. The ruler of this world, Jesus said, is cast down. The accuser of our brethren is cast down. He's already defeated. He's already beaten. And he's on God's leash now. I said he's on God's leash. He doesn't just plow through your life and do whatever he wants to do. He can only do what God allows him to do, and he's on God's leash. And if God's allowed some kind of testing, it's because he knows that ultimately it's going to turn out for your good and your benefit and for his glory. Hallelujah. I said that's worth getting excited about. God is for us, and he loves us. And I want to tell you something. His love for us includes our struggles. His love for us includes our struggles. Everything God does in our lives is based on his character. Did you know that? What is God's character? What is the essential quality of God's nature and God's character? Love. God is love. It doesn't say God loves. It says God is love. He doesn't just love, he is love. The very fabric of his being, uh, the very essence of who he is, is love. God loves. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God loves. Everything he does in your life is based on that loving character. You know what his goal is? His goal is to shape us. His goal in trials and testings is to mold us. He's wanting to conform us, the Bible says, to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. He's wanting to make us more like Jesus. And how does that happen? It happens the same way that it happened in Jesus' life. It says Jesus became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus humbled himself. He, did not, uh, he took upon himself, the scripture says, the form of a servant. And as such, uh, he was tempted and tested and tried and beaten and cruelly crucified and came forth uh, as pure gold. Can you say amen? Came forth victorious over death and hell and the grave and made it possible for every one of us today to be born again by his spirit and to have that same resurrection and that same kind of new birth in our own experience. His goal is to disciple us. Amen? God wants to disciple us. It's interesting that the the root word of the word discipleship or discipling is the word discipline. Because discipleship always includes discipline. Listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 6. It says, For whom the Lord loves... He chastens and scourges every son that he receives. Now let that sink in for a minute. Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and scourges every son whom he receives. Those chastenings and, those, and those, those, those scourgings equal the struggles that we deal with in our life. Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. Maybe I just take a little bit of an aside here and say to you that if you really love your children, you'll discipline them. Oh, don't shout me down this morning. I said if you really love your children, you'll discipline them. Because if you want to see them grow up to be productive adults and have a place in in, in society and not end up in prison, then you will discipline them at times. It's important in their development. You know, I know that you don't want to warp little Johnny and Jimmy and Susie's personality by telling them no or telling them they can't have something they want or putting them into a timeout or giving them some sort of other measure of discipline. But I'm telling you, if you don't do that, you don't really love them. You're selfish. You're selfish. You're, so, you're more concerned about how it's going to put you out and how it's going to make you feel uncomfortable than you are about that child's character and about the way that they grow up. So if you love them, discipline them. Can I hear an amen from God's people today? Yeah. Praise God. That was a free one. That was what Joe, Pastor Joe calls a freebie. We threw that one in as a freebie. I was thinking about how God's discipline flows out of his love for us. And the problem is with us as human beings, we, don't, we can't always see this when we're on the run. Anybody here ever been on the run from God? I'm talking about you've been on the run from God. Hey, it's a safe place here. You can put your hand up. Less I'm the only one. Maybe I'm the only one that ever has. But uh, you ever been on the run from God? You, you, you know that he wants you to do something. You know that he's speaking to you about a certain direction to, to go in your life or a certain decision to make. And what do you do? Make the opposite. You, you, you pull a Jonah. Remember Jonah. God said, I want you to go to Nineveh, Jonah, and proclaim my message to the people there. And Jonah goes, No way. I hate those people, hate those Ninevites. I'm not going there. If I went there and preached, uh, they probably would repent, and then you'd have mercy on them, and everything would turn out all right for them, and I hate them. And so (laughs) he went the other way to Tarshish. But how many remember what happened to Jonah? He gets thrown overboard middle of the sea, and he's swallowed by a great fish. And I can tell you that though I've never been uh, thrown overboard at sea or been swallowed by a great fish, I have found myself in a world of hurt and in lots of problems because I was running from God. You want big-time trouble? Just ignore God. Just ignore His dealings. Ignore His pleadings. I was reading a story that really intrigued me. And it's an it's an older story it comes from back in the mid '80s, and it's a story of a, an auto theft that took place. But it made headlines all across the United States, newspapers, uh, radio, and TV across the United States. Uh, and you know this morning very well that thousands of cars are stolen every year. But this this is a different scenario. This man owned a cabin up in the up in the hills up in the up in the pines, kind of maybe like Prescott or Sholo or one of those places. And uh, he went up to kind of get the the cabin ready for summer. And when he went up there, he discovered that he had a rodent problem. There were rats. And so he uh, decided in the course of cleaning things up and getting it ready to uh, be inhabitable that he would uh, lace a bunch of crackers with rat poison and set them as bait uh, all throughout the cabin so that uh, then he would kill off these rodents. And so he had worked hard all day doing this cleaning and then setting the bait and, and the traps. And so he decides, you know what, I'm going to go grab something to eat and, and just have a little bit of a rest. And so he went outside, jumped in his car, started up, and he starts to back out and then realizes, hey, I forgot my glasses. And so he pulls, he puts the car in park, jumps out, runs back into the house to grab his Glasses, and did you know that by the time he got back outside, a thief had come along. The car was already running with the keys in it. It Jumped in and drove the car off. So now, he's been burned bad. And so the story goes that he called the police to report the theft. But when he called them, he was very concerned because he said, "Listen, uh, I've been up at this cabin, and I've been, I've been, you know." lacing these crackers with rat poison, and he said, I left a bunch of those crackers on this front seat of the car. (laughs) Crackers laced with rat poison. And so immediately the authorities got onto this and they began to broadcast it across the radio waves. They got radio stations to, 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 to announce it. They got on television, got television stations to, 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 to air it and to broadcast it. They got newspapers involved and everything. All trying to, 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 to get a warning out to this guy that, hey, don't touch those crackers. Don't eat those crackers, dude. You'll die. And uh, to my knowledge, uh, I I, I don't believe that they ever found the driver. I don't know what happened and what what the ultimate consequence was. But I was thinking about this. You know, here are the police. Here are the authorities. They are trying hard. They are trying desperately to find this guy. But, you know, it wasn't because he had stolen a car. Now, no doubt he was going to have to pay the price for stealing the car ultimately. But the reason why they were going on television and the reason why they were in the newspapers and the reason why they're broadcasting across the radio is because they were trying to save this guy's life. Did you know that's exactly the way that God deals with us many times? We're running from God and we're running from the very person that's trying to save our life. I said, we're running from the very person that's trying to save our life. He's trying to keep us from eating the devil's poison crackers. Amen. He's trying to get us into a place where we'll begin to understand and to know his purpose and his will for our lives, and yet we're on the run from God, and when we're on the run from God, we don't, have a, we don't feel the sense of his presence. We're not seeing things as they really are, and uh, this, is, this whole story just it, it jumped out at me, man. These cops are after this guy, but, you know, it's not because they just want to bust him. They're trying to save his life. Can I tell you something about God? Even when God is after you, he's still for you. Even when God is on your case. Has anybody here ever had God get on their case? Even when he's on your case, even when he's after you, he is still for you. I remember reading about Peter again. And uh, after the horrible denial of Jesus and, All that took place in the crucifixion and Jesus rises from the dead. And when he rises from the dead, he comes looking for, guess who? Peter. He comes looking for him after he's had this colossal, colossal failure in his life at the trial where he denies Jesus and and curses and swears. And finally, he just lets off a stream of cursing and says, I never knew the man. The rooster crows, and immediately he remembers the prophecy that Jesus gave him that you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. Think about this because it's something that's very, very powerful, very powerful. Jesus comes looking for Peter after all this, and you know what? It wasn't to shame him. It wasn't to humiliate him. I think Peter felt enough shame and humiliation already, don't you? It wasn't to blame him. It actually was to capture this man for the rest of his life for God's purpose. And we know that that happened. We know that that took place. We know that God takes our failures and he uses them to train us and he uses them to teach us. And oftentimes they're born directly out of our struggles, just like it was with Peter. But understand that God uses that and he trains and teaches us with it. He wanted to capture this man for the rest of his life. So what does he say to him when he finally connects? Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I do. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? And, and it, says, it says, after we asked him the third time, Peter was grieved because he kept asking him this question. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Feed my lambs. And He went on to be the powerful preacher of Pentecost. It was this same Peter that had denied the Lord and that had run from God and that had made such a colossal mess of things in his life and was struggling for survival that ultimately stands with courage on the day of Pentecost in boldness and preaches the gospel to this great crowd of people and 3,000 souls come and give their lives to Christ as a result of his altar call. Tell me this morning, what's the first rule of struggle? Somebody tell me, shout it out. What's the first rule of struggle? There's nothing strange happening. There's nothing strange going on here. This is something that's normal. This is a normal part of the Christian life. There are going to be times, it doesn't mean they're going to be all the time. How many know that, that, that trials have an entry and they also have an exit? But they do come, and they come in seasons. It says that there was a day, in the book of Job it says there was a day and there was a man. And that man and that day came together for the beginning of Job's trial, but it also says that Job came out of that trial uh, with double everything, multiplied what God had uh, blessed him with before that he had now as a result of his faithfulness to God in the middle of the trial. So it's important for us. First rule of struggle, nothing strange going on here. What's the second rule of struggle? God is, say it with me, God is, say it again, God is for us. There's one more I want to leave with you. That's the third rule of struggle. And this, I think, maybe is perhaps the most difficult lesson of all. And that is, don't waste the pain. Don't waste the pain. I love this graphic here. Pain is the best teacher, but nobody wants to take his class. Nobody wants to go to his class. I had a wonderful friend who was a, a mentor and a, a good friend, became a good friend of mine a number of years ago, is Dr. John Holland, who was the former president for about 11 years of the Four Square Gospel Churches in, uh, nation, uh, worldwide, I should say, internationally, and, and uh, was a wonderful man of God. And he became a great mentor for me when I was going through a crisis time in my life and in my ministry and uh, uh, helped me and, and spoke life into me and into my wife and uh, just uh, was a, just a wonderful guy. But he, he became ill with um, Lou Gehrig's disease. Many of you are familiar with Lou Gehrig's disease, the motor neuron disease, and everything begins to shut down. And ultimately, I remember seeing him at a, at a, at a service, and he was on a cane. And uh, he was still functioning, and he was just kind of walking with a cane. The next time I saw him, he was in a wheelchair, and he was being pushed around in a wheelchair. And then the, the next time I saw him was at his house, and he was in a electric uh, an electric stand up wheelchair that had a little controller that, that 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 could move him about inside his house. And then the last time I saw him, he was confined to his bed, and he couldn't he couldn't he could barely move his his head at all, and couldn't hardly speak. And his 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 um, the pitch of his voice had changed as it does as or just everything everything begins to shut down And I remember being there because I was just about to leave in a couple of weeks for Australia. My wife and I were going to Australia for another season of ministry over in the area of Melbourne, Australia. And I remember Dr. Holland saying to me, because he knew me very well, he knew a lot of my struggles, he knew a lot of my past experience and circumstances, and he said this to me, and I'll never forget it as long as I live. He said, Mike, whatever you do, don't waste the pain. Whatever you do... Don't waste the pain. You know, most of us spend our entire lives dodging painful events, don't we? Dodging painful situations, and hey... There's nothing wrong with that. It's no, there's that. That's no surprise. Nobody enjoys having to deal with pain, whether it's physical pain, whether it's emotional pain, whether it's some kind of mental anguish or torment. Nobody nobody enjoys having to deal with it. I don't sit around and pray for pain. I don't get down before God and say, Lord, just give me lots of pain this week because I, I just feel I need more pain in my life. No, you know, pain's going to come. You don't have to pray for it. You don't have to ask for it. It's part and parcel of living life in a fallen world. It's part of you being a fallen creature, restored by the grace of God, but in that fallen circumstance, nonetheless, you're going to have to deal with it. God, on the other hand, He uses pain. For God, pain is like a tool. God has a lot of tools in his tool chest that he uses in our lives, that he uses to shape us and to form us and to mold us into the image of his son. He has lots of different tools. But pain is one of those tools. And listen, it isn't that God sets out to hurt you. It's not that God's wanting to hurt us. It's just that sometimes pain is the only thing that will cause us to seriously entertain change in our lives. Amen? Sometimes until the pain threshold reaches a certain place, then we're not, we're not willing to change. We're not ready to change. We're not gonna change. But when the pain gets, when the pain threshold gets high enough, then then we start thinking about doing a lot of things, making different decisions and different choices putting ourselves in different circumstances. Amen? Listen to what Proverbs says in Proverbs 20 and verse 30. It says, Blows that hurt cleanse away evil, as do stripes the inner depths of the heart. Blows that hurt cleanse away evil, as stripes the inner depths of the heart. You know the truth of the matter is, most of us resist change until the pain of remaining and staying the same is greater than the effort that it takes to change. We resist change until the pain of it, the pain of staying as you are is greater than the effort that it takes to change. And the truth is, if you never struggle, if you never experience that, you will probably never change. If you never have to go through any of that, if you think you can circumvent that, then you're going to be circumventing the change That God wants to make in your life. You'll be circumventing the transformation. That God wants to work in your life. He's not able to apply. Certain tools. To you that are going to shape you. In the way that his son was shaped. To conform you to that same image. You're going to be trying to run from that. Don't waste your pain. Pain has this almost. Magical power to make us willing. Amen? We're not willing, you know, we're not willing to change. We're not willing to make it We're not willing to do so. But pain has almost this magical power to make us willing. And as we've noted already, God is for us. He isn't trying to torment us or to get us to fail. He's probing our lives for areas of weakness. That's what God does. That's what tests are all about. He's probing our lives for areas of weakness for the sole purpose of strengthening those areas. Making them strong. How many know there's a big difference between testing and tempting? God tests us, but the devil tempts us. The word test in the Greek means to locate a weakness uh, with the purpose of strengthening and reinforcing it. But the word tempt means, in the original Greek means to find a weakness with the goal of using that to destroy the person. Well, the devil is a tempter. He wants to destroy you. He's on the lookout for weaknesses. He's probing too. And he's looking to spot the flaw or find the weakness in your life. Not so that he can help you overcome it, but so that he can use it to destroy your life. John chapter 10, verse 10, puts it this way. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come, Jesus said, that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. The the devil has one M.O., and that is he's out to kill you. He's out to destroy you. But God tests us on on the other hand. He doesn't tempt us. He tests us. He tests us to make sure that we're strong enough to bear up under the load of life. Do we have any carpenters in here? Anybody a carpenter? Hands up. Yeah, we have got a couple carpenters, a few. Most in this service of any service over the weekend. Uh, Carpenters know about this because... When they build a piece of furniture, maybe they build a bookcase or maybe they build a, 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 a desk or maybe they build a rocking chair or whatever it might be, uh, that often they will either put it in a vise and bring pressure to bear on it to see whether or not it's going to be strong enough after they finish gluing and nailing and doing all they got to do, and they'll put it put it, put it in a vise, put pressure on it, uh, or sometimes they'll just lean on it. Like I used to say, it's a bookcase. And they'll lean on the shelves and put, and put weight on them to see that they're going to bear up under the load of books on that shelf without bowing. Right? I want to tell you, that is exactly how our Heavenly Father works with us many times. He finds a weak place, and he goes to work to strengthen it. He goes to work like the carpenter to shore it up, to make that area that was weak strong. But sometimes God's tests hurt. There's just no other way to say it. Sometimes God's tests are painful. Sometimes God's tests hurt. They ultimately fall out for our good and for His glory and for the furtherance of the kingdom. But in the moment sometimes, sometimes they hurt because, you know what, sometimes God, God's, the weight of His hand can be painful. Sometimes the, 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 the weight of the pressure that God brings to bear on us seems like it's a, almost unbearable. This morning, I want to personally welcome every one of you to the struggle. (laughs) I want to welcome you to the struggle. Say, what are you talking about, Pastor Mike? I'm talking about the inevitable stretching and enlarging and the painful reconstruction and painful renovation of your heart so that Jesus can dwell there safe and sound. How many know our hearts are his home? Our hearts are his home. No wonder he's concerned that we keep them clean, that we keep them ordered, that we keep them pure as we can because our hearts are where he lives. We talk about God's house and often when we, when we say, you know, when we're in God's house, we're referring to this building, but this building is not God's house. This building is where we meet, we know that, but God uh, dwells in us by the Holy Spirit. Can you say amen? I love 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16. It just tells us how serious Jesus is about our hearts becoming his home. Listen, it says, do you not know that you are the temple of God? You are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you. You know, the problem that we have sometimes, how many ever watch HGTV? I like that show like a lot of the shows on that where they kind of go in and you know tear down and remodel and uh, do all that sort of work but how many know that before you can renovate a house before you can rebuild it there's something that comes before demolition demolition And the same is true in our lives, that sometimes the Holy Spirit has to come in with a wrecking ball and do a bit of demolition inside of us and knock down and knock out some of the junk that's there so that he can make a place where he can renovate our heart according to God's plan and according to God's purpose. If you believe it, shout amen. Amen. His involvement in your life is a serious thing. Don't ever, ever let his warnings and his dealings become commonplace. I read somewhere, one gentleman said, when the precious becomes common, it is soon replaced. You know, that's the story of a backslider, isn't it? The story of someone who falls away and, and backslides is that they've allowed something so precious They've taken it for granted. It's just become commonplace. They're no longer paying attention to the promptings of the Holy Spirit and the leading of the Lord and God's dealings and conviction upon their heart. They've hardened their heart to all that. And now it's just become commonplace. And you know what? When it becomes commonplace, it's soon replaced. They just push God out of their life and pull something else in. We've learned some rules today, and uh, they're rules of the struggle. And I want you to go away from the service this morning with those firmly etched in your minds because you're going to need to refer to them. Uh, the reason why you're going to need to refer to them is because you're going to go through some struggles. There are several of you that are here this morning. You're in the middle of some struggles. You're in the middle of some painful circumstances. I, I recognize that. I know that. But you remember these rules of the struggle, and they'll serve you well. The first one is, think it not strange. Nothing strange happening here. Nothing unusual going on here. But remember that no matter what's happening, no matter what your circumstances are, no matter what's going on in your life, God is always for you. God is always for you. Even when God is on your case, he's still for you. Even when God is after you, he's still for you. Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And then the last rule is don't waste your pain. Don't let it be a lost lesson. Don't waste your pain. Let it be used to transform your character and transform your personality and and cause the the qualities and the nature of God, the character of God to come out in your life. That's what it was intended to do. That's why God used that particular tool because he knows what he's doing. We don't always know what he's doing. We don't always recognize, but that's what he's doing. Can you say amen? That's the word. That's not, that's not Pastor Mike's opinion. That's the word. And we can back it up with the word. Can you say amen? I want you to bow your heads with me this morning all over this congregation. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed for a moment in reverence to God. Our hearts are open. The presence of the Lord. We're here today. I want to I do two things before I turn the service to Pastor Fred. One... Uh, first of all, is that if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ in a personal way, maybe this is your first encounter with uh, the message of the gospel, the first time you've heard an appeal to uh, open the door of your heart and invite Christ to come in and be the Lord of your life, well then I want you to take that that invitation seriously and understand that that's the most important reason why we've gathered together here at Grace Walk Church this morning is so that men and women that don't know Christ can come to a saving knowledge of Him. Today, Jesus loves you. He proved that love by giving his life on the cross and dying in your place and dying for your sins. The Bible says he took upon himself uh, your sins in his own body on the tree. He became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And this morning, if you're here and you say, Pastor Mike, I'm not, I'm not a Christian. I don't know Jesus in a personal way like you've been talking about this morning. But I want to know him. I, I feel the emptiness in my heart. I feel the need for his love to fill me. And I, I don't want to keep going around in circles in my life. I feel like I'm just kind of going around. I'm on a merry-go-round. and I just need to get off. I'm, a, I'm, I'm treading water. I need, to, I need to make landfall. I need my life to get some stability and some strength. And I need Jesus in my life. If that's you today and you're sincere and you really mean that, I wonder if you just lift your hand where I could see it right now. Just put it up one time very quickly. God bless you. Thank you. I see your hand. Are there others? Yes. Over on my right, a couple of hands there. Yes. In the back extension room, there's hands going up as well. Anyone else? Yes, I see a little hand here. Someone else? Say, so you know what, Pastor Mike, I need Christ as my Savior. I need to invite Jesus into my life to be my Lord. I, I, I need to open the door of my heart to his love. I need to do it now. Just as I make this final appeal, would you lift your hand and hold it up? I'm not asking you to join Grace Walk Church. I'm not asking you to sign a membership card. I'm asking you simply to be honest about what's going on in your heart right now. And You feel God's conviction. You feel the Holy Spirit drawing you. And you say, I, I really need Jesus in my life. I know that, Lord. I want to say that I surrender to you. As our, as our worship team sang so beautifully this morning, I surrender. Will you, will you surrender to him today and invite him into your life? Anyone else, just before I change the call, lift your hand and I'll see it. God bless you. Another hand. Thank you. Anyone else? All right. We're going to pray a prayer together. And I'm going to ask you, if you raise your hand, to pray this prayer out loud with all of us. I'm going to ask all the church to join with us as we pray this prayer. And if you lifted your hand, I especially want you to pray it out loud. Mean it from your heart, and you'll go out of this, the doors of this building this morning, a different person than you came in. Will you pray this right now? Say, Lord Jesus, I come to you today. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Wash me clean. In your precious blood. I do believe in Jesus Christ. I believe he died for my sins. On the cross of Calvary. He was buried. And three days later. He rose victorious. Over death and hell and the grave. So that I too could rise. In a brand new life. With the hope of salvation with the forgiveness of sins. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me and for hearing my prayer. I receive you into my life right now by faith. Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord a shout of praise and give him a clap offering in this place.